Hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast formerly known as Outspoken and now entitled I Love You Anyway. And why did you change the name, one might ask? Well, um, for one reason, there are several other podcasts now that use the name Outspoken or some variation of it. And one of them has an alarmingly similar logo. So that was more than the reason I think that was the impetus for the change. uh, Because it got me thinking about whether or not the name Outspoken really fit what the show is about. And the more I thought about it, the more it seemed like it could be a misleading title. Um, The word has potential connotations of rantiness or political discussion or something, uh, being brash or I don't know. It feels like the word could be a turnoff, frankly. So I wanted to choose a title that better represents what the show is about. Uh, it sort of embodies the spirit of the whole endeavor. Uh, it's, I, I want to make clear that it's aspirational. Um, this is how I want to live my life, with the attitude that uh, no matter who you are, or what you do, or what you've done, or what you think of yourself, or how society views you, or any of the other bullshit indicators that people use to judge one another by, um, I love you anyway in spite of all of those, any of those. So, as I continue down the path toward a better understanding of myself and a greater capacity for love toward myself and others, uh, I hope to engage as many people as I can along the way and hear from others what their experience has been in their own particular expression of consciousness and learn about their perspectives and hear stories from their lives and learn about the work they're doing in the world and just give them a place to share all of that with others and with myself. And I am ever so grateful that so many of my old friends and new friends and friends-to-be are willing to do just that. So here we go. First episode under the new banner. Uh, my new friend, Akasha Halsey. Okay. You know about that, right? Uh, not not the details of it. Um, well, between us, we have seven marriages and one lesbian relationship. So we think that's kind of an unusual platform to start from. <laughs> and uh, and we're both exactly the same age. I mean, she's a couple months older than I am. but So we're in our mid-70s, and, and, and we feel like, well, we like to feel like that we've learned a lot, um, which is not always evident in our day-to-day lives, uh, but 
what we think is uh, um, entertaining and amusing are the choices we made to get to where we are today. And so um, not the least of which are the marriages. But as we spent all this time unearthing different experiences in our lives that point to, oh, yes, this is when I realized, oh, no, I can't do that. Or I wouldn't do that if you paid me to. (laughs) Or why did I do that? Um, we've just gotten to be such good friends and, um, it's up in the air now, whether we're ever going to put this show on because of COVID, Right. but I just think your mom's a funny, a funny person and I'm, can be a funny person. And the two of us together are sort of like a, I don't know, a, t- a tag man team of, you know, wrestling with humor. I, I don't know, but. Anyway, we've, like we've thoroughly enjoyed each other, and uh, and and so that's what we're doing. And that I think I, I, I've had I've had some really exquisite experiences in my life. And when I turned seventy, I thought to myself, I want one more big thing. I don't know what it's going to be. But I, I want to, you know, I'm going to go out in a couple of decades. And so I want to have something that's really juicy before I leave. And I think uh-huh. that show is going to be it. Oh, cool. That's exciting. So that was long explanation. No, I love it. And and it's funny to hear how you, uh, that that sounds like something my mom would say. Like I, And in fact, I think she did say, well, she said that about a relationship. She wants to have one more relationship before she dies. Um and but I think it's pretty wide open to what that might look like. Yes. And most of my friends have said you can have a relationship, but you are not allowed to ever marry again. <laughs> You've so, been banned from marriage. <laughs> I, I'm I I don't do it very well. So um Well, or you do it really well. You do it so well that, you know, you can rack up the numbers. I don't think that's the measure of your success, really. <laughs> oh, it isn't? It's not quantity. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe it could be. Maybe it maybe we be, need a new but, new you measure. Know, I, if if I'm con- if I'm in uh, contention with Elizabeth Taylor or some of those people who've been married eight times, I'm you know I'm sort of limping to the finish line. But um, <laughs> it's it's just you know I I think at this point I look back on my life and I think my Lord. I was born in Alabama in 1946, and I would never in a thousand years have believed all the things I would I I got to do so far. That's cool. I, I just, uh, I mean, I look back on that and think, gosh, I know my parents were horrified at a lot of it, and but it, it and and I don't feel like I went out to you know to rebel against anybody. I just think things came into my life, and I thought this looks like fun, and that was it. Okay. So you sort of followed your intuition or your, just your gut? I, I followed, I, yes, I, I followed, I guess I followed my intuition, but I always felt like there was an invitation from, I don't know, the universe or, you know, it was like, uh, uh, I had this boyfriend and he went to work in Iran and he didn't have enough money for a plane ticket. So I fronted him the money and he said he'd send it to me when he got, you know, his first paycheck. Well, instead he sent me a ticket. And so mm-hmm. I, I was in Alabama working for my daddy and I said, I need a vacation for about three weeks. He goes, okay. 
where are you going? I said, I'm going to Iran to see Peter. And he's like, where is that? I said, hmm, I don't know. Do we have an atlas in the house? Wow. And so I went and stayed three and a half years. So, I, you know, it's like that. You lived in Iran for three and a half years? I Two and a half years. Sorry, I misspoke. Yeah. I The revolution started while I was there in 79. And at first I thought, oh, this could be interesting. And then, no, it got kind of ugly fast. So I, so I left. Wow. You left because of the revolution, because it was getting scary. Yeah, somebody tried to set my house on fire, and there were a couple of other things. And I just thought, no, you know, I don't think this is my milieu here. Right. But it had been up to that point, right? Oh, wonderful place, beautiful people, lovely architecture. Um, The the country itself is just gorgeous. And uh, what an experience to live in a in a, in a country where the cities are struggling to be, you know, come into the 21st century and the, the villages don't even have electricity. Right. That's so, so bizarre. Just so bizarre. And to have come from Alabama to, to that. Like, well, and bless their hearts, most of the people, I, I taught English as a second language there and they all had a Southern accent. <laughs> That's amazing. You you created your own little diaspora. Of, it was uh, horrible. I mean, when I saw them on tape, I'm like, oh, Lord. I, oh, this is terrible. That's really funny. Um, well, but they must have been uh, kind of shocked to, to to meet you. Like what? It's such a bizarre. Well, I don't want to insult you in any way. I just I, I'm just thinking of like a southern accent coming out west is shocking for people, you know? So to going to Iran, that's a pretty major. Yeah. You know, most of these young men, they, the first batch of students we had were, they had had a little bit of college, but after that, there were people that they just grabbed up. The army grabbed them up out of, you know, they were sheep herders and stuff. And they didn't know, they didn't know I had an accent, you know, they, it was just a different, English was a different language and they just didn't know. Okay. You could still learn all the words. Yeah, they learned the words. That's right. Yeah. But they didn't, it's like they don't, we, we were teaching them English so they could fly helicopters that Iran had bought from America. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the course, we took them to see these helicopters. And one kid says, what is this thing here? I said, well, that's a gun mount. And he said, well, what's that for? I said, well, it's for a gun you know, you, for, you're, you're going to protect your country flying this helicopter. And he said, you mean I have to shoot it? Mm. I said, yeah. He left. Wow. He just went AWOL from the army. He just left. He's like, I can't do that. That would have been me too. Well, but to go nine months and not realize. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I mean, how do, how was that? Well, first of all, I think it's really important for people to hear that this kind of stuff like this is in the seventies we're talking about and the U S was selling them military stuff and just like compared to today's relationship with them. I just don't think that everybody knows it's been spanning all these years and doing what it's doing behind the scenes. But what, I th- what could those young men have been told that? I mean, how could he not have known that that's what that was about? I don't think he'd ever heard of a helicopter. I don't think um, 
But the army said, you know, you, you have to go in the army, and that's all there is to it. They were just conscripted. That's right. That's so, I mean, I know that's happened again and again throughout history, but uh, it's so terrifying. I remember registering for the draft when I was 18, and it just scared the shit out of me. Just the, yeah. Just, just, I was just like mortified that I had to do it. And then standing in line at the post office to, to <laughs> sign the thing that I just never, ever would be able to follow through with. You know, I just knew, like, I'm not going to war. I'm not going to go to war. It's insanity. I I think uh, my daddy had polio when he was young and had to learn how to walk again. And he, when World War II happened, he wanted to fly airplanes, but he couldn't because his legs, the muscles in his calves didn't extend fully anymore. So he trained troops in America and he always felt like he didn't really do his part. And so when the war in Vietnam came, we were having a discussion, which was very rare because in the South, you don't talk about anything unpleasant. Um, and, and I said, you know, if I were a guy, I'd go to Canada. I couldn't, I could not kill another person. And he said, you just don't mean that. I said, I do. Absolutely. And he said, I would be so ashamed of you. And I said, we're just going to have to disagree on this because. Wow. You know, he said, maybe if you were male, you'd feel differently. I said, no. Well, good for you for Well, like up you about said, it. you know, it just goes against your, who you are. You yeah, know? I mean, it's impossible for me to imagine, it, you know, as the being that I am, that, that I could ever even be <laughs> convinced to have a conversation about, you know, the notion of doing it. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. And, and, uh, some people thankfully are like that. Otherwise we'd all be maybe at war if we didn't, you know, if we didn't have some people who are just saying, no, that's not the way we need to find another way. And yeah, thank, I'm glad uh, for that too. But it's pretty, I mean, it's impressive that you felt that way coming from that, you know, having a, a parent who felt differently and coming from where you did, um, and that you you knew it then and were able to speak your mind about it. I mean, I guess it is an internal knowing that leads you to that. I guess so, yeah. You know, it was just a, yeah. I don't know. Um, that, that, I think that was one of the, um, I guess one of the times when I felt like I'm kind of like not like other people. I I remember um, when I was in high school, I think I was probably like a senior in high school. My daddy was really um, instrumental in working with Washington to build up this army base in in Huntsville, Alabama, where I live, the Redstone Arsenal. And he was, he and a group of men brought Warner Von Braun there to develop the Saturn rocket. And, uh, the Secretary of State of the United States, whom I should know the name of but have forgotten, came to our house for like a little cocktail party before some other big shindig that he was going to. And I was answering the door and my mother passed by the front door and she saw the Secretary of State coming up the walkway with a black attache and a military uniform. And she said, run out there and tell that guy to go around to the back of the house to use that entrance. And I looked at her (laughs) and I said, have you lost your mind? You go down there and take care of your guests. I'll take care of this. 
And I thought, my God, she said, well, I don't want anybody to see him coming in the front door. You know, we had never discussed anything like that in our family, but I just was like, I can't even believe those words are coming out of your mouth. What what was her objection to having him come in the front door? He was black. Oh, I see. Okay. Sorry, I missed that part. Yeah. Well, that's bad news. And, um, but I mean, that must have been, wasn't that sort of the status quo around you? Wasn't that? I suppose, but I never, yes, you're right about that. And we had people that worked for us that had been with us for a long time. And so they were like family members. And I didn't really, I guess until that happened, I didn't really understand the whole situation. Yeah. But when she said that, it 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 just almost struck me dumb. I, 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 That's really I, hard to hear from your mother, I think. Like, to, you know, you think that it's, I think up to a point, you think your mom is a source of unconditional love for every, like everything, because that's how you want to view her for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you hear some kind of judgment like that, and it, goes right to your, it's a knife in the heart. You're like, what? This, her, this angel is, is accusing somebody or, or, you know, discriminating against somebody? That's terrible. Well, and, and also it was more, that's wrong. Right. Yeah, but is. I wasn't sure why, because I don't, you know, we, we never talked about integration or segregation or anything. Um, but I just... I, I just knew in that moment that that's just not right. Wow. It, it was, and so that's what I'm talking about when I say things just sort of fell into my life. Or there were more instances like that where I felt I finally began to realize that I can't live here. You, you know, yeah. in the South, you don't ever move away. You just marry somebody from high school and you know what I mean? Just, yep. And uh, I just thought, no, this is not going to be for me. Well, good for you for figuring that out and doing something about it. I mean, it's cool that that opportunity came along for you to go to Iran. What an amazing thing at that age. It was, and it it came about because I had moved to California. Oh, okay. You had already split Alabama. I loved and still do. Okay. so, So you left home at the this sort of normal age and and went there or what, how did how I went to Atlanta where my daddy got me a job and uh with a ad agency that bought did ads for Coca-Cola and um and it was okay uh but then I had a boss who um became real good we became very good friends and um I don't, I, I, well, I don't know how much backstory to give you, but he just introduced me to some different kinds of music and some other things that I had never been privy to growing up in Alabama. And, uh, and we became great friends. And then he went to take a job in LA. And so I went out to LA to visit him and I got off the airplane at LAX in the middle of the night and thought, oh my God, I have to move here immediately. These people are whacked out. <laughs> you you felt you felt right at home with the I weirdos. I loved it. And I, you know, they had those moving sidewalks, you know, those things where you 
It just yeah. moves you. Well, I thought, oh my, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then they have that voice that says something like, you know, step to the right, move to the left. And I'm looking around, who's saying that? And it was just coming out of nowhere. And I, I thought, wow, what a cool place. That's awesome. That's <laughs> and sick. it just makes me think when I tell that story, good Lord, what a rube. You know what I mean? It's like to be well, enchanted but, uh, by a disembodied voice at the airport. But it's but it's also really sweet. I mean, that's that's a level of innocence that you don't always retain. So I think it's kind of cool to be enamored by something that's you know totally passe to everyone else. Um, I wish we could all keep that a bit longer. Kind of like that guy in Iran, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's that for? But but I mean, the thing that I it took me a long time to learn this because I I grew up in a what I think was a fairly judgmental environment. Even if it wasn't being directed at me, it was felt. It was just sort of a. It wasn't like we're better than everyone else. It's just there was a high standard to live up to, and. uh so, and maybe it was just internal pressure that I was putting on myself, but, uh, I've, I felt like it, it was sort of a critical environment. And so I grew up with a critical, you know, sort of judgmental bent, which I don't like, and I didn't, I still don't like it and I'm still trying to shed it. But, um, I think, what was judgmental I going to say? against yourself? Well, definitely. Yeah. But also against the world because I, you know. I'm, I quickly find fault with, with pretty much whatever doesn't immediately align with my current needs and emotional environment. You know, like I, if something agitates me, it takes me out of my little private world. It's qu- it's easy for me to find some somebody to point the finger at, and it's not a quality that I like, uh, and it's something that I work on all the time. But, um, it's, uh, and I, and now I forget why I was, why I even started talking about it, but, um, mental household is what you said, but, but can I comment on what you just said there? Yes. Uh, you know, your mom has the vile bitch upstairs and I have my own version. It's Vern. (laughs) And it's that voice that tells you that person is so stupid. I can't even believe they're driving a car. It's that kind of thing, you know, or how come this lady is still looking for her checkbook when there's 900 people waiting to check out behind her? That kind of thing. Exactly. And uh, I think to recognize that that part of yourself and for me, giving it a name, I just enlisted all my friends to tell me when that was coming up because I sometimes don't even realize it. And uh, and and so for years they would say, "Okay, Vern's in the house. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, dang. Um, but I, you know, I think that you uh, just just being able to notice that is like the first step toward, you know, not letting it rule your life. Right. It is, I think, too. But um, but it's a you can take that first step and then rest there for a really long time. You can, and that's so pleasant, isn't it? I like uh, that. Yeah. Just well, the room for me. What I mean is. Are you, were you being sarcastic or you mean you really like it? Cause I'm, no, no, it's very comfortable. It's a place I know. Okay. But yeah. it's also a reminder that those people didn't suddenly get really stupid. Right. 
Right. It's like that's the that's the voice that is critical of other people. And so, like, what's going on with me? Right. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. Um, but, oh, well, I just remembered why I started talking about it in the first place. Um, it took me a while to, to learn that, you know, people, you don't know something until you know it. You know, like you can't, you can't be critical of somebody who hasn't, they haven't yet discovered what, you know, a, a certain way of looking at something and how that might change their life. Like they just haven't, maybe they're not self-reflective in the same way. Maybe they didn't have the same, you know, exposure to ideas like that. So the idea of you moving, you know, as a greenhorn from, you know, from Alabama to the big city and being blown away by the stuff that you just hadn't seen before. I mean, I, I just think it's, it's, that's not something that we should be judging in other people, you know, like, or ourselves, we shouldn't be hard on ourselves for learning something new. We should be rewarding. We should be congratulating ourselves, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm often self-deprecating, but I, I do, um, I do enjoy that innocence and I still, and, and, uh, and I love it about myself because it's particularly as you get older and you can't remember shit from one room to the other. It's like, Oh, here are my glasses, you know, Oh, hot dog. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's very handy actually. Um, yeah. And, uh, I think that that sense of, I don't know, curiosity and, and the joy of the new is what's made made me appreciate so many of the things that, that I've been privy to in my life, you know, that I've that I've had an opportunity to experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that curiosity is like I said earlier, is like a really good place to start no matter what you're doing. Um and I think that the joy of something new maybe is something that not everybody has. Like they don't, they don't even know that that's something they can, you know, invest in is, is like yeah. excite, excitement about what's around the corner instead of fear and, and just the assumption that it's going to be a repeat of whatever has already happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. And I, I think um, I think one of the things that's at the core of my belief system is that there's good in everybody. Mm -hmm. That gets me into a lot of trouble sometimes because maybe people act like they're good when they're not, but um, or maybe they want to be, but they don't know how. Um, and and there's a hope in there and a and a space for. Uh, amazement and and joy and happiness and um, it sounds all really Pollyanna when I talk about it like this, but I just believe that um, there's so much mystery in your life, a and getting to the point where you can just accept that and not try to shoehorn it into something that you you think you can control that's when you can relax and let, and, you know, and, and be present for whatever is going on. Sometimes it's unpleasant and that's not the 
the great part about that kind of belief. But sometimes it's like, well, here I am nine months in my little condo uh, with COVID and people dropping dead all around me. And what's happened? Well, I spent a lot of time um, in introspection and I have started writing like nobody's business. That's great. So you never know, you know what I'm saying? You, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I agree with you a hundred percent in terms of there being good in everybody. And, uh, and I, and even those that you look at and think are just utterly detestable, you know, they well, actually, no, I, I mean, this gets me, will get me in trouble probably, but I really do believe that even those people, they're, they're not behaving the way that they are because they're evil. They're, they're doing it because they are wounded so incredibly that they don't know how to operate. They're, they're dysfunctional and uh, they're, you know, and it might look like they're just mean all the time or they're just, you know, completely inconsiderate and maybe they are by our standards, but they're still learning the same, you know, same stuff that everyone else is. They're trying. Um, so very generous. <laughs> well, it's not something that I, that I came to easily or, I mean, I do think naturally because I think we all really want that in our hearts. We all really just want to be unified and, you know, in, in love with our, ourselves and each other and the whole experience, you know, I don't think there's any reason that we couldn't do that if we just agreed that that's what we all want. Uh, but so far we've been agreeing that we want something else. We want to be separate and, you know, I want to be better than you. And, and there are just have to be different. Something's always above something else. And if we live in a, in a ranked society, somebody's always losing. And that's, doesn't, that doesn't feel good to me. Uh, I'd rather see everybody have the same, you know, stuff available to them and, and options. And so, yeah, it's, I, I agree. It is generous and it is what I feel in my deepest, truest self, but it is not how I often operate in the world. Unfortunately, it's, that's the part I'm trying to, I, I mean, I'm just learning. I'm learning how to do it better. Hopefully we all are. huh? Yeah, I think we are. I mean, I think it's a collective uh, effort as well as an individual one. And I think that some people help others along and, you know, we look to one another for examples. So set good examples.
All those hundreds of teachings are basically all pointing to the same thing, I think. Um, And love seems to be at the center of it. Uh, So that seems like a pretty good place to start and a great place to hang out. Um, If we can all work on loving more, uh, I think we'd be happier, all all of us. I don't see how it could go any other way. Right. And, and I think part of what's necessary for that to happen is to really be present with the other person. Yeah. To not, to not, you know, okay, I'm going to say this because I know they're going to say that, or they're so wrong. I'm going to tell them why. Uh, yeah. As soon you, as you, you stop t- talking, I'm going to start talking. Exactly. That's not really a conversation or, it, or a being with each other. No. Um, and, it's trying uh, to find your, you know, the the common ground, and then latching onto that. And it's, oh, you feel this way too? Okay, cool. Now we're safe. We don't have to yeah, talk about yeah. that anymore. Yeah. But that's limiting. I mean, that's going to limit your growth if you only expose yourself to the people who are like you. But so many people don't want to be with people that are not like them. Right. Well, I mean, it's not comfortable. <laughs> No, no. My sisters, neither one of them doesn't speak to me at all. And the other one only communicates by email. And she's like, you know, I, you're just so strange. They don't get you huh? at all. And did they ever, or is it like, since you're, no, not really. They never did. Um, Do you feel like your parents did on some level? No. Um, my mother, bless her heart, spent years trying to mold me into the type of person that she wanted me to be. And this is from our show. Your your mother just loves this story. She told me in high school that she she had really high dreams for me. She wanted me to be the wife of the governor of Alabama. Oh, man. And the governor of Alabama at that time was George Wallace. Oh, And wow. I remember thinking, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's not really what, not what you had in mind. That's amazing. Well, first of all, gosh, unfortunate face. But, um, and then, and then my mother passed away some time ago, a couple of decades ago. And um, after she passed away, I, I finally had a relationship with my father that actually was one of the sweetest things about my life. Um, he's not a, he was not a deep person, but he was a, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't talk about deep subjects, but he was a spiritual person in his own way. And, um, just, I, I, I spent a lot of time just sitting with him as he got, it took him quite a while to pass on, I mean, years. And, Mm. um, I spent a lot of time just sitting with him and, and it was a beautiful experience because we would just sit on the front porch and cars would drive by and sometimes people would honk and every now and then he'd say look at that bird and that was it and and it was and I remember thinking wow I'm so excited to have this because we never spent any time together really yeah it was just really nice and it um, sounds nice and it and it really it was just spending time it was just just hanging out Nowhere to go, nothing to say, just being with the other person. Yeah, that's pretty great when it works. Mm-hmm. And it's really special when it's something like that, where it's like, you know, finally, hey, Dad, 
Nice, nice to know you, you know. Well, yeah. And, you know, that's just the way it worked out. And um, well, the last thing he, he said to me, uh, I don't know how long it was before he passed away, but he was in his recliner chair and motioned for me to come close to his head. He didn't speak much then. And he said, I just love the hell out of you. Wow. It took me so aback. I, I, I remember it was almost like I had this bodily stutter and I couldn't think of anything to say. So I said, I love the hell out of you too. That's the perfect response. Uh-huh. And uh, that was, I think, the one of the best gifts I've ever had, you know? It sounds pretty, pretty amazing. It's, uh, it's, you couldn't ask for a better one sentence. No. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, I mean, it's lucky to have a good relationship with either or both of your parents. You know, it's a, it's a pretty great thing because not everybody even, I mean, especially if you felt like you did that you didn't even, like you didn't belong where you were. You didn't really jibe with everybody or the setting. So. Yeah. And, and, and I, don't you find too, that these days you can have those types of relationships with people that are not necessarily your family? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful too. It's amazing. I mean, I, I don't, without my deep friendships, I'd be spinning out. I would, I don't know what I would, you know, and I don't even necessarily check in with them all that often or lean on them very much, but just knowing that there are people out there that I can connect with on a, on a soul level is, it's pretty great. It's, uh, it's irreplaceable. And that's a gift. You know, not everybody has that either. I know. And I really feel for those people. And, and that's another thing that pushes me toward wanting to, you know, share love with everyone. Cause there are some people who need it desperately and don't get it. You know, they don't have somebody supplying any of that or telling them they're okay. Or they, you know, it's really, it's really sad that there are people who don't have a friend, you know, that's a horrible place to be. Yeah, it is. It, it, it really is. And I, I'm just thinking about these days, If I when I go out to the grocery store, basically, it's the only place I go. Right, me too. Uh, um, but, you know, somebody will put a little extra effort into making sure that the groceries are not, you know, the eggs aren't on the bottom or something like that. And so I just look for ways to say, thank you. You did such a good job. Yeah. And I just feel like especially now with people just so fraught over everything, I, I, you know, just to have somebody really sincerely say, I appreciate you and I see what you're doing. I just think that that's something that we all can do if we think about it. Definitely. Easily. It's uh, It does not take an effort to say thank you or to look somebody in the eyes and be kind and, you know, I mean, it, it, you think it takes an effort because we've been trained that everything is work, everything, you know, what, what am I going to get out of this exchange? Why, you know, what, what, do I, I'm not going to talk to you unless there's some reason to, you know, and that's a way to dismiss entire, well, first of all, entire populations of people, if they don't fall into your realm and then entire like 
status levels of, you know, oh, you're just a bag checker, you know, what do, what do I, you're just a whatever, you pack my grocery. If you think about somebody like that, that's a human, like that person, yeah, has, yeah, they, exactly. have, they have a whole life that exists outside of your little private, you know, kingdom or queendom. Uh, so yeah, you have to engage with those people. And especially now, like those, you know, they're the checkout people at the grocery store are as frontline as anybody and and they're not getting appreciated you know they're not getting compensated so yeah we have to give a little extra i think to each well, other yeah and and i also like you know if i notice somebody i'll say to just some woman in the store man cool shoes yeah, that's a good thing to just like <laughs> yeah, just compliment yeah. people out of the blue. Oh, uh-huh, just for no reason, or uh, and strike up a conversation with somebody. Oh, the avocados. How the hell do you tell whether these things are going to rot or not? Right. <laughs> and some well, people will look at you like you're nuts, but other people will. It, it sometimes they'll engage you, and it'll just be a few a minute or two of fun, and you know I think everybody feels better. Definitely, yeah. There's for the for the one time that it doesn't go well, there are probably nine that it does, or that it you know it has some kind of positive impact, even if it's a little tiny ripple in the energy field. And that reminds me, somebody said to me the other day, "You never know the impact that you've had on somebody else." Yeah. And I thought, wow, that number one, so true. No idea whatsoever. Number two, I hope it was positive. Yeah, uh, and which, and number which, three, which is up to you. I, exactly, and number three, how do you take that in? Right. Uh, how do you take that in? Compliments are hard. Hard to receive. Yes. Uh, what? Yeah, I agree. But how is it for you? It's edgy to the point of okay, let's move on. Uh, mm. it, it it's uh you know don't don't shine that light over here too too brightly because you're you're liable to see something that I'd rather you didn't see uh oh it, it, kind of like that oh shucks kind of thing and don't brag on yourself you know your head's getting too big I mean, all those southern things that I still carry with me that I'd rather not have as companions but um so that so that's where it stems from for you you think <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Just like don't don't make me the center of attention. I'm not. Please supposed don't to do that. And and all of my life, I have my behavior is the exact opposite. Oh, <laughs> you've made yourself the center of attention. I have indeed done that, and I'm an introvert, and so it's it. Um, it, it you know, it's just a. Uh, I find myself to be so interesting because I'm a cancer and a double capricorn so i'm in and i'm really out and <laughs> and that middle space is not it's not a th- area that really ever occurs to me um and i have a lot of times hard time making a decision because i can't see any middle ground and so the compliment thing is kind of like too far in one direction i see you know, you you could if somebody says thank you, I really appreciate it. One on one, I can handle that. But okay. if people are effusive, unless they're applauding, that's pretty nice. Yeah, that's welcome. 
Well, so that's interesting that yeah, you would you would choose a sort of performance art um, to express yourself if you don't, generally speaking, want to be have everybody looking at you or giving you. But but then it's deserved. I guess that's the difference. You feel like you earned that. I earned it. No, I think, well, I've done a couple of one-woman shows. The first one when I was in my 50s, the second one when I was in my 60s. And and I remember walking out on that stage thinking in my head, that here was Vern. What in the hell are you doing out here? Uh-huh. Uh, and then I said something and the audience laughed. And it was like, this is what I'm meant to do. Not to be on the stage to make people laugh, to make people relax. To you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, to to and if I'm the butt of the joke, I don't care. Really? Uh, that was a- n- not really. No. Uh, it it it. That's part of what makes me amusing to myself. So why wouldn't it be amusing to other people? Well, that's I great. I-, I mean, if if you're able to laugh at yourself, that's super healthy. I I mean. I have a hard time with it. I get I go to anger before I go to laughter. Well, you know, I think really you're a lot younger and I just think as you get older you don't really give a flip anymore. You know, you still have to do all the practical shit, like pay rent and eat, uh, which to me is always a pain in the ass. Like that's always just been such a bummer that that's stuff you, <laughs> you have to worry about first. Can you know? someone else do that for me? I know. Yeah, or, or just like let's all do it together. Like let's just share the work so that it doesn't have to be divided so unfairly. Like let's just all do the part that we need to do to take care of us and our surroundings and our loved ones. And then – we'll barely be doing any work at all. We'll mostly just be doing what we want to do. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I had the experience of living on a spiritual commune in Oregon for a few years and everybody had a job and you work seven days a week, 10 hours a day. Sounds horrible. It wasn't. 
I wouldn't say that I was doing exactly what I wanted to do, but I had a good time doing it. And somebody cleaned my house and made my food and took me to the cafeteria and washed my laundry and, you know, did all that. But it felt unsustainable because it was so mm, closed off from the world at large. Yeah. You know what I mean? It at first it felt like wow, this is unbelievable. I you know, everybody working toward the same goal and still there became this power struct uh structure. Right. That really at the at the, in the end just caved everything in. So I don't does... know if that's I don't know if I believe that that's really possible, but that was just one example. So um well, there. I think there are lots of examples of that, of you know, a system being corrupted. Uh, but I think that has to do with how we think things are supposed to be. I think it's so much of what we do is based on what has already been done, and we just we repeat these things, thinking it can oh, only yeah, it, it can a... only go this way. You know, it's just how it always is, and we tell ourselves that, and then we believe it, and then that's what it is. Like that's how we experience life. But if we're telling ourselves something different and changing little by little, place by place until enough of the mainstream is open to allow for the, for the, you know, the more, the, the different channel, like they're just able to hear it now because it is more available because more people have been doing it. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and, and it feels like, too, people would be more satisfied. They would feel more authentic. Yeah. Um, and they would and, and not be, and they would have more available to themselves and to other people around them. I, I like that picture. Yeah. I mean, that it, it's it's hard to imagine it in the present state that we're in, but I think that imagining it is what makes it possible you you have you have to first believe that it can be a way that it hasn't been before and then by living in that way you convince others you know they look they look and see like oh he's right it is you know and it i think for a long time it might look like it's really really difficult and it might feel difficult doing that because you're swimming against the current but um i do think that in time with you know, I don't know if it's like a critical mass thing or what, but I do feel like the more people doing that in their own lives, the more it's going to benefit everybody. Well, yes. And I also think that you, there is a point where you have to recognize this particular part isn't working out the way I wanted it to, the way I thought it should, the way that's beneficial. So we're going to have to tweak this just to just a bit. You know what I mean? You need to be able to say, okay, this didn't work so well, but we don't necessarily want to throw everything out. We just, let's just take a look at this one little strip here and, and see how we can make that more flexible or or whatever. Yeah. And, and in that way, you're not repeating history. Right. You're learning from mistakes and making different decisions. But that involves being open to somebody else's opinion and, you know, another viewpoint. Dad gummit, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So so that's a big part of it. And being able to 
be okay with that, with whatever that person feels or thinks, even if you don't agree with it. Like that's the real hard part. I think is just accept. You have to accept that's how they see things. You know. It's uh, possible, though. I do think it's possible. I think it might take lifetimes, but somebody can experience it. Like what? And and I think it's still a collective thing. You know, I think we're all in it together no matter how divided we see ourselves. And so generally, well, that's not the word I wanted to use. Um, For me in particular, I think the, uh, not, not the knowledge. Well, I guess the knowledge that what I want for myself is to live life in a way that, brings me a satisfaction that I'm I'm being tr- that I'm being authentic and true to who I am. I'm not hurting anybody else. I kind of got off track here. Um <laughs> and um and that I do have something to offer. Yeah, I don't even a- know what that is, but I know it's there. And that's what I would wish for everybody. Me too. The space to, to, to recognize that about themselves and the space to actually give of who they are to whoever's around them. Totally. Yeah. That, I think that's it. I think that's everything. Just be, you know, be your truest self and share that with people. And however it is that you express, then that's going to, you know, that's the the energy you're putting out into the world and it might not always be happy or good or positive but it's real like it's the real you and that's more valuable i think than some pretend niceness or or happiness i'd much rather see somebody being honest about how they feel than trying to cover that up yeah and that includes today i feel like crap oh i'm sorry to hear that no, no, I no, I don't. Oh, you're just I, saying like you're saying, yeah. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah. I don't feel like crap, but um, you convince but it me. It includes listening when they're. What's that? You convinced me with your authenticity. I thought, <laughs> I thought, thought it was a true statement. <laughs> no, 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 I don't feel like crap today. Um, I'm glad. Uh, me, me too. Uh, and y'all don't think you do either, do you? No, I feel good. Yeah. I, I feel like this conversation has just been, it's so fun. I'm glad you think so too. I totally, I love it. I love when it's, when you said I went off track, that I, that's where I exist is off the tracks. I love it. Love that. I love that. Yeah. Because it's, you're going, you're going to go someplace that that's full of mystery. Yeah. Just like we were saying. And, it, and being open to that is, I think the best way to get through whatever it is that does come. Because mm. if yeah. you show, if you show up with your hands up, like, don't, I don't want whatever this is, then you're already, you know, at a deficit. You gotta, you have to be willing, like show up willing. And then you'll probably be surprised at what, you know, the rewards that await you. It reminds me of football. Uh, 
you know, when you get the ball in the end zone, the other end zone. Yeah. And press you, safety. You, uh-huh. And you and you throw it at you pass it to somebody and they run ninety yards for a touchdown. That that to me uh, oh my God, that's so exciting. Uh, and that's kind of what it feels like sometimes when you are true to yourself and you just do what you know you need to do to, to, to keep feeling that way. And you get some sort of I don't, glow or something that you have, uh, you have shown yourself for who you are and some other person has seen that and likes it. Yeah. How could you not? You know, when it's you see great. when you see someone else f- like fully expressing and it's joyful uh-huh. for, the, for them, then it's you know how can you not be affected by that? Yeah, it's because when other people win, we win. Well, okay, wait a minute. I, I don't <laughs> want to get into politics, but that that's a whole or, different or thing. football. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up with uh, with the you grew up steeped in football. I take it. That was, we really didn't have much entertainment, you know, it was a little, it was a small town when I grew up and yeah, football was it. Yeah. That was the, that was the, everybody's entertainment. Everybody's entertainment, but college football, not pro football. And some, now it's more, you know, emphasis on uh, high school football, but, but college football, it was a gigantic rivalry. Between? Alabama and Auburn. Okay. And uh, so the Alabama is the red tide, right? Crimson tide? It, crimson tide, yes. That's right. So you got you say roll tide. That's your, that's that's exactly your charge. That's exactly right. And, mm-hmm. what's, and Auburn, what's Auburn's thing? Oh, golly. Tigers. The Auburn Tigers. Okay. It's, it's a little generic, but, you know. They, they, uh, they, well. I love tigers. You- <laughs> Don't say that to somebody who's from Alabama. No, I just love the animal tigers. All right, then. Not the Auburn tigers. I don't give a shit about them. Okay. I don't either. But, (laughs) you know, I hate hate when they beat us. Then I care. But um, I don't want to sound like I've just, you know, well, like I sound. But uh, (laughs) Alabama wins a lot. And it's really hard when they lose. But they do. And so uh, it's always a... It's an intro football is interesting. You know, I love for Alabama to win, but if they win by too much, then I want the other team to score so they don't feel so bad. Oh, that's nice. That's sweet of you. Don't beat them, but don't beat them too bad. That's right. Thank you.
time I collected cows, not real cows, but you know, like just Figuring cow things. Business. Yeah. And uh, and then one year I looked at all these things and I thought, I'm done with this. <laughs> Don't give me any more cows. You know. So I think that you can, you know, things come into your life. They have a a lifespan, and then maybe they stay with you, and maybe they just go out the door. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. I I like. I mean, like these days I'm into getting rid of stuff and I, I'm not going to start any new collections at this point. So it's just a matter of ridding my life of the, all the stuff that I gathered. Um, Cause I don't find much interest in a lot of it. It doesn't, if it doesn't serve what I'm doing right now. Um, yeah. I, I like that. Uh, I've, I've lived a lot of different places and, um, uh, so I didn't really carry in, you know, I don't, I don't have furniture and stuff. I have to do have a few rugs from when I lived in Iran, but you know, you just, if you travel light or even like if you've been here for a while, you do get to the point where you, you just want to sweep out your home literally, literally and figuratively and this mm-hmm. happened way before Marie Kondo, um, <laughs> and, you know, and have that kind of a Zen place to breathe. Yep. Yeah. And just to remember what actually matters. Yeah. That's what I've been trying to do. I, it's, it's hard though. It's pretty hard to let go of the tethers of the past. It is. I, yeah. I still have a, a cocktail dress of my mother, my mother, well, I'm quite a bit larger than my mother, but I still have this cocktail dress that she wore and it sits in the back of my closet. I never put it on. And, but every time I look at it, I think, yes, I like it. <laughs> so I think it's important to let yourself have those things too. You know, maybe some of the stuff you don't want to throw out. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think you need to necessarily clear house completely. Um, I mean, I'm, my house is still full of all these little artifacts and, uh, you know, most of them are imbued with some kind of meaning, but I don't, you know, there are things that I like, for instance, right now I'm holding this little brass duck that belonged to my grandfather. And it's, it's like a, I think it's a paperweight. It's got a little felt bottom and it, you know, it just, I like the way it feels in my hand. It sits on my desk and I look at it it's a it's a nice little memory it's just a nice little uh reflection on a person that i loved and knew mm-hmm. and but i also feel like i'm weighed down by stuff like that you know when i look at old photos and i'm you know i feel pulled back in a way that i don't want to i don't really want to live in that time anymore or in that even in that emotional time uh, I don't want to deny it or forget it ever happened, but I don't need it to be with me in the present in order to keep moving forward. And in fact, it's probably better if it's not. Like I, I'd rather have a clear picture of the horizon than have it littered with, you know, all these old things telling me what life is about. Because I don't, you know, some of that I don't want to believe anymore. Okay, but. Not to sound like Marie Kondo and, and everything, but 
if you look at a picture and you think, God, that was a horrible time in my life, why keep that picture? But if you look at it, and I'm thinking about this paperweight, I feel like it probably fits just in a certain way in the palm of your hand. And I feel like the energy from that person that you loved is still in that paperweight. So that wouldn't be something that you put away. Not not necessarily right now, but I but I feel like the energy of that person is everywhere. Like that, you know, I don't That's great. I don't need to have an object in this plane of existence to to have the memory of that of the of that anything, you know. It's all in there. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I'm not saying it's bad or that people shouldn't have things around their house. I just find that personally lately anyway more and more there's le- I, like I just don't have much attachment to, mm-hmm. to anything that isn't actively serving my, you know, like if I'm working on art, I need my art supplies. Uh so I keep them. I have them around, you know. And if I'm doing yeah. a podcast, I need all that stuff to be available and working and but other than that I don't you know and I like I like having art on the walls and I like having little knickknacks around and I have a bunch of plants and you know I like the house to look I like it to be a comfortable place to be um but I also there was a time when I would have really had like a pain if I thought about losing something like oh if I you know and and things that I have lost where it really caused me like actual suffering because I was in my head about it for months or years, you know, Oh, oh I wish I still had that, whatever. I don't like none. Of, I, I can't think of anything that would do that for me right now. Cause I just don't, I'm not attached and it's really a good feeling. Like it's a, I, I'm not, it's not like, I mean, it's weird when you start talking about this stuff, some people think you're, getting ready to end your life or something, you know, like you can't give things away without too much without people thinking you're cleaning up and, and checking out. But, um, I'm not, I have no intention to do that. I just don't feel like there's much in this physical world that is holding me down anymore. I feel much more invested in the, the spiritual outlook, which, which exists like, you know, with or without that stuff. I think I have a hard time letting go of my cats and my jewelry. Well, cats, I mean, living things are a whole different issue. I have lots of attachment to the to them. That's, that's... Jewelry is right up there with football. Is it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Is it and, all uh, hand-me-down stuff, like from your grandmother and stuff? No, it's hand-me-down from my mother, mostly, but some of it's mine. Um, she was a... She loved jewelry more than anybody I've ever seen in my life and had a lot of it. And um, and I love it, too. I love to look at it. I love to put it on. Uh, I, I love really expensive pieces. I like, you know, a lot of costume stuff. Uh, I, I don't necessarily have to own it, but um, I can't imagine not having my jewelry. I'd, I'd be naked if I could have my jewelry. Huh. Do you do you have any sense of what that? I mean, it I know because your mom was was so into it. But go go ahead. Sorry, her name was Jewel, which I find kind of ironic. Uh-huh. Um, but she, I think, yeah, I didn't. Get, I don't think I got this from her. 
like from what she said, but what because there was such an emphasis on jewelry on her part for such a long time, I begin to pay attention to what it feels like when you put it on. And some days I'll put on a piece, I'll put on a ring or a pair of earrings or a necklace or something. And, and the minute it goes on, I'll, I'll know, no, not today. Take this off. This is not right. Hmm. And so it makes my body feel a certain way. Uh, and more so than clothing or in a different way or? More so than clothing. Clothing, I don't really care. Okay. I mean, I look okay. I, you know, I'm not in rags or anything, but. Um, but but it's, I, it's the it's jewelry not, that makes you feel mm-hmm. like you're showing what you want to show. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, it's not showing it to other people. It's 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 connecting with a part of me. It's uh, I have two rings that I wear almost every day, and I have a pair of earrings I wear almost every day. The rings are gold. The earrings are silver. I was taught never to mix the two. I don't mm-hmm. care. <laughs> um, and then I have some rings that are like really big and kind of over the top, in my opinion. And some days they're just absolutely right. Not so that I'm going to be over the top, but I'm going to feel a certain way that's, I don't know, maybe I carry the memory of my mother or maybe, you know, it, it makes me stand taller and more regal. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I can tell when it when the jewelry is not right. That's really interesting. Um, so it's more of like how you are expressing yourself to yourself. Exactly. And, and it has nothing to do with how other people see you or whether it's considered high fashion or properly accessorized or any of that not really no that's cool so it's just the feeling you put this on like yep that's what that's what today is that's yeah and a lot of times i'm like oh yeah i want to wear this and i look in the mirror and think oh no you don't (laughs) that that does not no that's not where you're coming from uh and there's somebody that some fashion person that said you know put on all your jewelry and then take off one piece and i thought that is not a good thing to think about <laughs> just too too many too many decisions or or well, just you just, have you know, too much weight if you put on all your jewelry you know that you feel like you want to wear that day and you still want to wear it don't take a piece off oh okay so you, there's the that's what you're objecting to is that you would have yeah. to give one back yeah I get it. Well, I guess you could always cheat the system by adding an extra one that you weren't thinking of wearing. Or buying something during the day. (laughs) There's that too, yeah. That's a good idea. Oops, bought another piece. (laughs) Um, Huh, well, that. so then I guess when you travel or when you used to travel, you would just bring a whole shitload of jewelry? No, no, I actually didn't really get into this well, that's not true. Actually, I can't say that. In Iran, you know, all that 18 karat and 24 karat jewelry and in Thailand, it was so uh, affordable back did, in the day. Did you live in Thailand as well? I a lot well? of it. Hmm? Did you live in Thailand as well? No, I traveled, you know, because I lived in Iran and Saudi Arabia, I traveled a lot in the East. And so uh, in the Middle East and, you know, India, Nepal, places like that. And, um, well, I, I went for two reasons. I went to see churches or mosques or anything like that, anything spiritual, and jewelry. 
Oh, cool. So, uh, did you go it, to specific places because they had specific jewelry that you were aware of or yeah, heard the legend yeah. of? Yeah. Like in Rome, I've been twice to Bulg. They pronounce it Bulgari, but I don't like that. So I pronounce it Bulgari. Okay. They're my favorite jewelers in the world. And I think they make exquisite jewelry. Um, a lot of it kind of harkens back to the art deco-ish stuff, it, you know, old timey jewelry, which I like. India, Bombay has some great jewelry markets. They Lots have a lot of, silver, of really good right? rubies. Hmm? Lots of silver. I never buy silver. Oh, gold, you're gold only? Except yeah, for your it earrings. So, it, it, well, those particular, they were divorce earrings, so they have a different meaning. So, um, <laughs> that's, that's what you got after your divorce to? My last divorce, yeah. Okay. Do you want to talk about any of your marriages or is that saved for the show? I think I'll save it for the show. We don't want to spoil the effect, you know. That, that's true. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I want to make you curious enough to come to the show besides the fact that your mom will be in it with me. Well, I will. I'll be there when it, you know, as soon as we're able to attend venues like that again. I guess it would be, well, I hope it's sooner than later. Me too. Um, so you said you're writing like crazy these days. Are you are you writing just for that show, or are you doing other pieces too? No, you know I I'm I'm just it's uh let's see how do I explain that I, I it it's kind of like I I'll hear these phrases in my head and I'll know that's my next piece and sometimes I'll be at the like the other day I was at the kitchen sink washing the dishes and I heard this phrase in my head and I thought stop what you're doing go in there and write and I typed out this sentence which I heard in my head and then the rest of the piece just came out and that's the way it is these days and I don't understand what that is but it it is very satisfying it sounds like it and you're honoring it by just doing it right when it comes, which mm -hmm. is really smart. Yeah, except sometimes it's four in the morning, which isn't that fun. But uh, but maybe it's necessary. That's that's when the that's when it bubbled to the it. surface. Yeah, I'll take yeah. it. That's great. Um, did you have to discipline yourself to to learn how to do that? How to stop what you're doing to go listen to your what um, was coming through? It's more like I've learned to listen closer. Like okay. when I hear a phrase or sometimes I can, I can feel, okay, it's ready. I, I, I just need to go sit down and see what comes out. And other times I recognize it's got to, it's got to just roll around in my head for a little bit. And then I just know when it's, when it's right. Sometimes I'll go through the day and I'm thinking about sentences that will go in a piece and they, you know, they don't quite fit. And, so the discipline is to just listen to what's there and that will tell me now it's time. That's great. Is that something that you figured out on your own or were you taught to listen? I know I wasn't. <laughs> My mother would get a kick out of that. Were you taught to listen? She would say, absolutely never. <laughs> um, <laughs> she tried. but <laughs> Poor thing. She did. Um, 
No, I I wasn't trained to do that. I just think, really, I think, you know, as you get on up in age, you just kind of, I mean, I don't want to, I don't feel like I'm doddering or anything, but I think that you just slow down to the point where things become, it's like the things that you said, you know, I don't want so much around me anymore. A, a lot of the stuff that I used to pay attention to just is sort of faded into the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I to me that's a it's a it's a good feeling. Like have it when that happens. It's not it doesn't feel like a loss or like something was ripped away. It's sort of like, oh, that's lost its importance. You know, or some en- enough of it that I don't have to focus on it all the time. I can do other or things. Or relevance or yeah, and I and I think that that's a real gift of this uh being quarantined. I sure hope people are using it that way. I mean, it, it, you can't really help but ref, you know self-reflect when you're locked up with yourself. Um, and le- well, you can if you just go to diversion constantly. Um, mm-hmm. But I, even then, I think it's still it's going to keep coming back to tap you on the shoulder. So I yeah, I think a lot of people are using this time to rethink you know what's relevant. Like you said, I think that's a good way to put it. Because it's you know a lot of stuff from our past that we hold on to just isn't relevant, and and maybe it never was. Like we you know there's stuff that we could have <laughs> canceled early on and just been like oh I never never needed that. But it, I guess it is it's necessary for your learning up until the point that you learn it and then you don't need it anymore. Yeah, at this point I'm not sure I ever get to the point where I learn anything. Uh, you don't think you're learning I, just on an ongoing basis, just by being open and by listening? Oh yeah, like that. But I don't, I don't feel like I've got this whole stockpile of wisdom. But you do, um, you do, because it's it colors your next move. You know, the things that you've taken in do they do play out? I think if you're, if I guess you, that's right. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, I, well, that I'm makes sure, me feel better. Thank you. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Well, I think people should should give themselves credit for everything they've done up to this very second. You know, they we've all been through a lot. We've all been scared or lost or you know elated or furious or whatever. We sh- we should allow for that stuff to be real. Like that's that stuff is part of what shaped who we are. And we don't need to let it define us, but we should at least admit that that was our experience and we wouldn't be where we are if we hadn't had that set of experiences. So I think wisdom is just like, you're just accruing information. You know, I mean, wisdom, some people say, call wisdom like what you already showed up with. So sort of your inherent knowing, um, but I think you can you can reveal more and more of that over time, and it all adds up. Yeah, I, it does all add up, and uh, in in a good way and in a bad way too. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, I, I feel like I'm getting a little tap on the shoulder. Hey, don't do that. And, and then I'll get like a little thump on my head. I said, don't do that. And then there's like a two by four and I'm like, oh, damn, I shouldn't have done that. You, you, is that your usual experience of? That's my usual experience. Like yes. when you're walking that line of, <laughs> is this the right thing or not? Or, 
let me just see how far I can push the envelope here. Or uh, do you do that? Do you do that with I in, do. intention? I like to. I, I do. And is it? What's the motivation? Just to see. Uh-huh. Just to see what it's like if you push the envelope. I like to procrastinate until the last minute, and then I, you know, I can I can almost get it down to within ten or fifteen minutes time that I've got to finish something if I have a deadline. And I love that adrenaline rush. If I if I cut it too close though, then I get really you know anxious. But but if I do it just right, there's a certain kind of adrenaline rush that gets me to the finish line just on time. That's cool. That's become your mode to sort of wait, well, wait or, or is that just an occasional thing? I think more, it's more an occasional thing now, because like I said, you know, I'm trying to slow down more and kind of listen to what the messages are, are that, that I see, hear, feel. Um, but I still, I still love that edge. Yeah. I don't do think do, I'm. Sorry, what? I'm never going to give it up. Yeah. It doesn't, I think if you have it, you have it. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't serve me a whole lot of the time, but well, were, I'll are, do it anyway. Are there ways, I mean, is that something that you did, you had throughout your life? Were there other ways that you were edgy or or walking on the edge? Like, did you do outlandish? I mean, I, I guess traveling around the Middle East when you're quite young is one of those things, but like, did you ride motorcycles or jump out of airplanes or anything like that to get the thrill? Not like that. No, but I have done some pretty edgy things. Sorry. It sounds like your mic is covered. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Sorry. I lean back. Um, Yeah. I think I always have been kind of edgy. Yeah. Some of what I some of what I do or did, I felt like was the right thing for me. Like I, in the second grade, we had this golden chair that you got to sit in if it was your birthday. Okay. And my birthday's in July, and Summer. I thought, well, that's just wrong. So one day, I said to the teacher who knew my mother, "It's my birthday." She knew it was my birthday. She's like, "Are you sure?" I'm like, "Absolutely." And you got to sit in the golden chair in the front of the room and go to the lunchroom first in line. So I did that. I came home. My mother asked me what I'd done in school. She said, the lady called, you know, your teacher called and said, you told him this stuff. And I said, yeah. And she said, why'd you do that? It's not your birthday. So I explained my birthday's in the summer. It didn't seem right. She said, you have to go back and apologize. So the next day I went back to class and I said, my mother told me I had to apologize for telling a story. So I'm apologizing. And if I had it to do again, I would do the same thing. You said that to your teacher? Y- yes. <laughs> how, how did that go over? Well, the class didn't really understand it, but the teacher laughed. Oh, that's good. That's that's a good response to get. But she told my mother, so that wasn't good. Yeah, but you were right. I mean, really, the, it's not fair to any kid who has a birthday in the summer to have a, a thing that only benefits those School school birthdays. That's there a bu- that's a bunch of BS. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I feel like I talked a lot. Well, you did, but that's your job, isn't it? Well, no, my job is to listen and and have you talk. Well, it's a back and forth. It's meant to be back and forth. But I feel like I I want to know more about you, and I'm also looking at the time, and 
seeing that I'm going to have a lot of editing if I if we go too long. Okay. Um, but I want to know, is there anything that you didn't talk about that you wanted to? Oh, loads of things. But we can do that another time. Or we could just do it in a phone conversation. Or if we ever get to see each other in person, we could do it then. That is true. All of that's true. But is there anything that in what they'd call in recovery, a burning desire? Is there anything that you like really? You well, had, speaking had... of recovery, I do have to say that, that being in recovery, so it's been 20 years and I, that feels like a complete miracle. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I feel like that's one of the best things that's happened to me in my life. And, and I was miserable a long, long time. I was 54 before I came into AA and, um, and the way I got there was that I got kind of tricked into it. Oh, and really? I, I, because I got a phone call and I thought that I had talking, talked to somebody and I had been drunk, but in fact, he was calling to invite me for lunch. <clears throat> I didn't answer the phone, but I had been drinking the night before and I saw this message on my voicemail and I thought, Oh my God, I talked to him last night. I shouldn't have. And so I called my therapist and outed myself and, you know, went to a meeting, blah, 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 made amends, yada, yada, yada. And then when I called this guy to tell him what was going on, he said, where have you been? I wanted to take you to lunch. And I'm like, oh, my God. There's <laughs> my God right there. You tricked yourself into going, huh? Well, I think that was, you know, they say you have to have a spiritual component. And I, I think that that it was like, I, I remember laughing and thinking, okay. Here's the spiritual component for me. Yeah, that sounds like it's divine a, intervention. Well, a God with a sense of humor. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. So do you still, are you active in the program still? I go to, yeah, I go to meetings. I speak occasionally. Um, usually I have some sort of commitment at a meeting, but I don't now because, mm -hmm. you know. Nobody does. There's not very commitments that not very many to have. Um, You're not making the coffee in huge pots and putting it out on your counter. I'm not, I, but I've done just about every job there is to do. So um, within the program, and I think that's a good thing to keep you sober. Yeah, uh, and humble. And, I, and humble. There's nothing like coffee grounds all over your clothes to make you feel humble. Right. Or cleaning up other people's spills and and stuff. Yeah. What slobs? <laughs> <laughs> Addicts are a bunch of slobs sometimes. There's Vern. Yeah. 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 Well, I got my own version of, of Vern. Uh -huh, I got to come up with the name. I've... Yeah, you do. Because it really personalizes and it makes it so much easier to be with. And then you can you can identify it as separate from this other person that you would actually like to be. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I didn't... I didn't uh, I mean, my mom had such a strongly defined, like two different characters, uh, and they, it made so much sense in her life to do it that way, and still does, I guess. But for me, it's that hasn't really occurred until this conversation that I could just give that creep a name and tell him to sit in the corner. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I I send Vern on vacation. That's a good idea. But sometimes it's a vacation to like Antarctica if he's really pissed me off. Or right. it could be, you know, it's a nice tropical place if he's just a little bit in the way. Uh, that's kind of you. Mm -hmm. if, if he's just being just kind of annoying, he goes to 
Tahiti? Yeah, you know, if he's like whispering in my ear, that person's a jack leg, and I'm like, oh, Vern. <laughs> jack leg, that's a good one. Is that in Alabama? Uh-huh. It, it, that's amazing. What What would you, how would you define it? Uh, I have no idea what it means. Okay. Is it, it's not related to anything that you? Probably I mean, is, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, how would you use it? Like, is it just like jackass or like jerk? Yeah, or? like that. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Jack leg. That's amazing. Um, all right. Well, I, I'm going to have to just sit with more, uh, you know, curiosity until the next time. And so uh, will the listener, I suppose. But um, I really appreciate you talking with me and talking about what you did, what we did. I had such a good time. Thank you. Me too. It's my pleasure. Um, so, Thanks so much for being willing. And uh, I, yeah, we'll someday we will meet in person, hopefully soon, and hopefully uh, at your show with my mom. That'd be terrific. Thank cool. you, Justin. I appreciate you taking a chance on me. Oh, it's, I, I love it. It's the, it's, you embodied the very mystery that we talked about. Like the, the unknown is where it's at. And so thanks for being willing to do that with me to let you go though but i know you do have to go i well let's just make a have a phone conversation sometime in the near future okay let's do that i'll i'll give you a ring sometime that sounds good i mean for real yeah yeah no i i don't okay. it doesn't feel like an empty promise okay thank you all right sweetie thank you all right i'll talk to you soon bye bye Thanks for listening, everybody. And a huge thank you to Akasha for um, coming on the show, sharing part of her life, and for being incredibly patient while I put this episode together. Um, there were many delays for many reasons. Uh, there was an insurrection. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but thank you, Akasha, for bearing with me and for being yourself and being open. Uh, I also want to thank my patrons over on patreon.com slash outspokenpodcast. And I will be updating that name soon and also just the general website. But for now, you can get there the same way you always have. Shouldn't be any interruptions. And... I want to thank my brother for help with the logo, uh, both the concept and the design. He helps me so much in so many different ways and always has, and I'm super grateful. I am also grateful for you, my listeners, for um, hanging out for these past three years or however, whatever part of that you've been along for. Um, I really, really appreciate you. And please tell everyone you know about the show. But I'll appreciate you just the same. Even if you don't tell anybody. Even if you go out of your way to not tell anybody. I still love you. Okay, see you next time. Bye.